Our scripture for this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning, MCA. It is awesome to be back in the fold this morning. I was away last weekend. Uh, Jeremy Hostetler was here ministering to you all by preaching the word. Uh, there was a group of us that went to Lancaster, PA last weekend for the Bible Quizzing Invitational Tournament. So these were Bible quiz teams. We had two teams from MCA who competed. Uh, locally in the Wayne County Bible Quiz League through the winter, and then last weekend, the big invitational tournament. This was Bible quiz teams from Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia competing against one another. So it was a great weekend. We saw lots of young people in the Word of God and are just thrilled about that. So uh, I think we're going to be doing Bible quizzing again next winter. Uh, This is for a broad age range from age 12 to age 21. Uh, So if you want to consider being a part of Bible quizzing, uh, come and talk with me or talk with Phil and Rita Roberts. We'd love to share more about what that is and how you can uh, learn and grow from that experience. But that's where I was last weekend, but I'm grateful to be back. Last uh, Sunday, I made the comment to Phil as we were driving back, making the trip home. I was like, this doesn't feel like a Sunday. (laughs) It just felt like a Saturday. Uh, We did have a little worship service there, but... Uh, In any case, I want to begin this morning with a true story ripped from the headlines a few years ago, a New York City transit bus that went missing. So this is part of the the New York City uh, public transportation system, and an entire bus vanished. It's gone. Where is the bus and its driver gone with it? For over a week, authorities are searching for this bus, and you can see the picture, and you're getting a clue. They found it 10 days later in Miami, Florida. What, what had happened? What was the reason for the disappearance? The driver simply decided to run away. <laughs> Just leave it all behind and heads out. So here's a quote from the, the man who did this. He said, I'd had it with the cold weather and the passengers and my family. So I just took off. <laughs> he headed for the sun and the sand and enjoyed about a week-long solo vacation before it all, of course, came to an end. And on a day like today, some of you are like, I feel that temptation. (laughs) Sometimes I just want to run away to a place that's warm. And some of you tuning in online are in a place that's already very warm. But you might be able to identify with this gentleman who who just said, I've had enough. I'm just sick of it and I'm ready to run away. I'm ready to give up. You know, we get so frustrated and aggravated and overwhelmed. We want to just pull our hair out. Or maybe pull someone else's hair out. I don't know, depending on your situation. We we get overwhelmed, and sometimes we're tempted to just say, we want to give up. Maybe it's in the context of your marriage. 
It just has not turned out the way you expected it would. And you're just ready to give up. There was a couple that went to a marriage counselor. And the counselor asked the couple, when things go wrong, do you tend to blame each other? And they said, oh, no, 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 we don't blame each other. Well, not always. Sometimes we blame the children. Sometimes we blame the president. And other times we just slam doors. (laughs) So our, our marriage situation can be one of those that's really challenging. Really, honestly, as we think about the last two years, we have all walked through some difficult situations and circumstances, things that we just wanted to be done with. We wanted to get away from. A global pandemic and political upheaval. Right now we're dealing with inflation and and a labor shortage, not to mention the war that's happening in Europe. For some of us, we're at a stage in life where we're parenting, parenting little ones. Those of you that are past that stage, you faintly remember, oh, that was difficult. (laughs) That was really challenging. That was really trying. All of the energy, all of the constant reminding and helping and discipling, it's hard. Maybe it's in your workplace. You just want to quit. You just want to walk away. Right, right now, what we're experiencing in our nation is being called the great resignation. Because so many people are walking away from their job. It's, it's changing the, the workforce and changing workplaces. I heard the story about a boss who was uh, with his employees and he was telling a joke. And they were all laughing but one gentleman. And this was a guy who he always laughed at the boss's jokes. And so he says... Mike, is everything all right? Mike says, everything is just peachy, man. I just don't have to laugh at your jokes anymore because I'm quitting tomorrow. <laughs> you, you know I like to, to joke and I, I like to be lighthearted. But, but I don't want to downplay the fact that life really is hard. That, that life can really become very discouraging and overwhelming and frustrating. The, the reality that I don't want to ignore, I don't want to just gloss over, I don't want to just make another joke about, that, that life can be crippling when you have a relationship that's in trouble. When you have that obstacle in life and you just don't know how you're going to get over it. When you have health issues or when you have loved ones facing health issues or when you lose someone and you're never going to get them back the side of eternity. When your stress levels are through the roof, And they're kind of going side by side with your busyness levels. Or the disappointment that comes with life and life circumstances. Or the wounds that you carry with you. And in all of that, my friends, there are probably times where you've wondered, where is God? Where's God in my pain? Where's God in my disappointment? Like, I've been doing the Christian thing. But is this even working? Is this even worth it? Like, can Jesus actually make a difference in my life? Like, why do I even go to church? You're experiencing doubt. You're tempted to to lose heart, to give up, to, to give up on your faith. Well, don't worry. No, 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 no. Don't worry. You are not alone. As we're going to see from the scriptures, Phil read this for us a few moments ago. That's where we're going to be, by the way. We'll turn there in just a minute to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to see John the Baptist. Like the John the Baptist. He's got two these in his name. (laughs) The John the Baptist. He 
doubted. He became disheartened. And so you're not alone. When life gets tough, when, when you're tempted to just drive an empty bus to Miami, don't lose heart. When we're in those lowest moments, when we face our doubts, we can take them to Jesus. Why? Because he cares. We can take them to Jesus because he cares. I'm also going to suggest this morning that we can share those with trusted Christian friends who will support us and love us. So that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. Let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. I pray that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So this is now week four in a five-week study on the life of John the Baptist. This was an amazing man. And so we've, I'm not going to recap all of what we've learned over the first three weeks. Um, but we are understanding that this individual, John the Baptist, he had accrued a following. He had disciples. He had a name. He had notoriety. And he was preaching in the wilderness and people flocked to him. But then when Jesus came on the scene, John pointed them to him. He pointed the crowds to Jesus. He said, he said, follow him. He said, behold, he's the lamb of God. He's the one who can take away the sin of the world. So what John did was he had prepared the way. In fact, he baptized the Lord Jesus and then saw the Lord launch his public ministry. Basically, John had accomplished his mission. So we can just give a round of applause. Well done. John, you've done it. You prepared the way. Jesus is on the scene. And now, instead of just going back to his warm place in the desert, instead of just retiring and putting his feet up and and just enjoying uh, satisfaction of a job well done, we find John in jail. Yeah, you heard me right. What is his reward? For preparing the way for Jesus. What is his reward for proclaiming boldly the word of God? He is now stuck in a filthy, putrid jail cell. John had been locked up by this regional leader named Herod Antipas. And it was this Herod who had taken his brother's wife as his own wife. Her name was Herodias. They were just Herod and Herodias. And if you know anything about John, by this point, you should know this. He doesn't back down. You should know this. He's going to speak the truth and he's going to say it to whoever is standing in front of him, right? He comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, who who did not balk at speaking directly to the most powerful man in all the land. And that's exactly the opportunity that John had. And so he says to Herod Antipas, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is sinful. He He doesn't back down. He tells him straightforward that he is doing what is wrong. So what John has done is he's been faithful to God. He's been faithful to God's word. And where did it land him? In jail. Not only just he's uh, serving a sentence, he is, he is locked up with threat of execution, to be very clear. Uh, we're going to talk more about that next Sunday, so I hope you'll join us, but we'll leave it at that for now. And sitting in those dark and dire circumstances, after he had done what was right, after he had been faithful, John begins to doubt. He begins to wonder, did I do the right thing here? Was Jesus really who I thought he was? And so he's questioning the one I've been pointing to as the one. Was he actually the one? So let's turn in our Bibles together. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to walk through this passage together. 
and be encouraged not to lose heart, even as we see this mighty man of God, John the Baptist, experiencing doubt and becoming disheartened himself. So Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, to be clear, there had been many false prophets in Israel. There had been many false messiahs in Israel. There were people who, who claimed to be the one. What if, John is wondering, what if I fall and pray? What if he was just some false guy who claimed to be the Messiah, but he wasn't really? And, and John, okay, he has nothing else to do but think, sitting in, in prison. And again, his ministry is essentially over because he has successfully prepared the way and pointed others to Jesus. He baptized Jesus, saw him launch his public ministry. All he can do is think. And he's like, come to think of it, the Messiah was supposed to overthrow the Roman government and come with all this power and zeal. And like, what is Jesus doing? He seems so meek and mild. And where is he? Look at verse one. He's in Galilee. John's like, why is he going to Galilee? Doesn't he know that the people there are totally unimportant? They're totally backward. They're not influential. They, they are so backwoods that they have an accent that everyone makes fun of. Like, that's where Jesus is right now, hanging out with the rednecks and the hillbillies and the ones that no one wants to have anything to do with. And so, John, you can see... And again, part of this is a creative reading of the scripture this morning. So I hope you're tracking very closely with me with your Bible open. What I see here is that John begins to wonder. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Is he really the one that I thought he was? Because his ministry is not really looking like I kind of thought it would look. It doesn't sound like why is he going to these backward places? And if I've got that wrong, just imagine this for a moment. If John got it wrong, I mean, his whole life, his whole ministry, his whole deal, he has, it's the kind of thing that's like, you had one job. <laughs> John, you had one job, prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's wondering, did I get it right? But even in his doubt, okay, before we beat him up too badly, even in his doubt, sitting in the dark prison cell, wondering about this, it, did we get the right one? Is Jesus who he said he is? We see what I would call an unshakable trust in John the Baptist. An unshakable trust that says, I need to hear from Jesus that he is the one. An unshakable trust that says, I just need to hear from him because I know he's going to tell me the truth. Are you the one? And so he sends messengers. He's locked up. He can't go himself. He sends his most trusted people to go directly to Jesus with the question, are you the one? As we talk about doubt this morning, I want to state very clearly that doubt is not the opposite of faith. I want to state very clearly that, that doubt is not wrong. Doubt is not sinful. Doubt does not automatically mean you cannot possibly be saved if you have an inkling of a doubt. But I think sometimes we get susceptible to that thinking where we say, well, we need to have faith. We cannot doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, my friends. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? It's unbelief. The opposite of faith is unbelief. It's when we have hardened our hearts against the Lord. In, in fact, 
If this is faith and this is unbelief, doubt in so many ways is sort of the tension between the two. So you can't permanently exist in a place of doubt. But it will lead you to faith or potentially it will lead you to unbelief. I'm aware of that possibility that there are times and cases and instances where you doubt and it leads you to unbelief. But, but doubt in and of itself, it's not the opposite of faith. In fact, in so many ways, it is the tension between the two that oftentimes, as we wrestle with, leads us to faith and faith that is even greater. Doubt can be this catalyst that is helpful, that is a necessary part of growing and maturing in Christ. So this morning, as we consider John the Baptist's doubt. And maybe the doubt that we ourselves experience. I want to encourage us with three ways to handle doubt. In fact, I'll tell you what they are right here up front, and then we'll walk through them together. The first is to take it to Jesus. The second is to search the scriptures. And the third is to share it with a friend. So three ways for us to handle our doubt. We're going to begin with taking it to Jesus. This is exactly what John the Baptist did. He took it straight to... Now, listen, we all have doubts about certain things. Like when you get the email from the Nigerian prince. Have you guys gotten that one? He's got $30 million, according to the last one I got. And he's willing to share half with me if only I'm willing to give him my bank account routing number. Right? Or, Christy, those, those telemarketer calls or the... Uh, we're going to just give us your financial information and we will help you with those loans you have. And you're going... But I don't have any loans. We all have doubts about certain things. But when John the Baptist has his doubt, he goes to Christ. And again, he's, he's in prison, so he does the best he can. He can't actually leave. But he takes his doubt to the one correct place and source to take your doubt, which is to Christ. He doesn't go consult with crystal balls. He doesn't go to the government leaders. He doesn't go to philosophers. He goes to Jesus. When the world around you is crumbling, when things are hard and you begin to doubt, take those to the Lord. Seek him in prayer. Ask him to come through. Ask him just what John the Baptist did. Are you the one? Or should I look somewhere else? Now I want to jump to a different passage of scripture uh, because there's really... Uh, a story that jumped out to me as I was thinking about this, this maneuver of John the Baptist where he goes to Jesus with his doubt. And it's in John chapter 6. And it's really kind of a crossroads for the disciples of Jesus. So these were the men that Jesus had called to follow him. And like they had seen him do amazing miracles. They had followed him. They had put everything else on hold. They had left behind work and families and responsibilities. They had followed Jesus. But their doubts almost took them out. So in John chapter 6, Jesus is about to teach something that's very controversial. And the people are not going to like it. And I mean, they're not going to like it. I I should set the context for us because this happens the day after Jesus miraculously fed the crowds. This was 5,000 men plus women and children with the loaves and the fish. So, So Jesus feeds the crowds miraculously one day. And then this is the very next day. Now... Uh, Food in their culture was scarce oftentimes, certainly for a crowd of upwards of 15,000 people. (laughs) And and so the crowd assembles again the next day. And for some of them, I suspect that it wasn't so much because 
they wanted to follow Jesus because they wanted to be his disciples, uh, but they recognized who he was, I think perhaps it's, well, he fed us. (laughs) And so part of our reason for showing up again the next day is, hey, I'm ready for more fish and bread. And so the crowd is there, and rather than give them bread again a second day, Jesus instead decides to teach them using the illustration of bread. And and listen, today we read this passage and this teaching from our Lord Jesus through the lens of the cross. And so we know and we recognize and identify and, and even observe the Lord's Supper and communion together regularly so that we know when he talks about the bread, he's talking about his body that's going to be sacrificed on the cross. But the crowd didn't know that. And so they were freaked out when Jesus had this teaching in John chapter 6. They left. And I mean, when I say they left, like every single one of them took off as fast as they could go. They, they left. So John chapter 6, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So the crowds left him, and even some of his followers had, uh, that had been following him deserted him. So Jesus is left there with just the 12. And the 12 are thinking, what are we going to do? Like, What do all these other people know that we don't know? Again, we're talking hordes of people, tens of thousands of people who had come to hear Jesus. And when he teaches, they all flee and they all leave. Should we go too? Are we crazy for staying with Jesus? Jesus calls them out there in the next verse. We're in John chapter 6, verse 67. It says, Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, are you also going to leave? And it's in this moment that one of the disciples, whose name was Peter, he turns to Jesus and he asks probably the most important question that anyone who's facing this sort of crisis of faith could possibly ask. This is really the question that you ask when you're struggling with doubt that you need to wrestle with. And it's in verse 68. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? And I get the sense that this was a genuine question. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, do you have any other suggestions? Like John would probably have been on the table, but now we know he's locked up and things are not looking good for John. Like he is like they're they're marching past his cell every day talking about how we're going to get you. So John's probably off the table Where else would we go, Jesus? Got any suggestions? And then he says to him, you have the words that give eternal life. So these 12, and Peter gives voice for them, they didn't shy away from Jesus. They didn't take a year to deconstruct. He says, where else are we going to go? When you walk through seasons of doubt, when you have these struggles... Take it to Jesus. If not Jesus, then who? I hope you stay for our Sunday school hour. I don't think this is on the discussion guide, but if you're leading a discussion, maybe just have that as the question for the Sunday school time, for the adult classes. If you didn't go all in as a follower and a disciple of Jesus, who would you follow? What would you be into and what would your life be like? And maybe even go down that rabbit trail. What would that look like? How would that play out? How would that impact your life? How would that impact your family and those around you? If not Jesus, then who? 
So we have this great encouragement, as John exemplifies, that we take our doubts right to Jesus, even when we're confused. So the teaching that Jesus gave in John chapter 6 that turned all these people off, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And we hear that and we go, okay, yeah, if... If a dude walks in and says to a crowd of people, eat my flesh and drink my blood, slowly back away and then sprint. Right? So that, that's the teaching that Jesus gave and all these hordes of people abandon him and take off. And his disciples are like, that's a little weird. That's not the only weird thing Jesus said, by the way. Like even, even when we're confused, about the scriptures and what Jesus is saying. Turn the other cheek. Hold on, Lord. I don't think you understand my situation. The Lord says, whoever tries to keep their life is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. Like, what? So every follower of Jesus has to grapple with these moments where we are confused, where we don't get it. And in our confusion, instead of running away like all the crowds did, I would encourage us to respond as Peter did, not shy away, but to say, there's nowhere else for me to go, Jesus. So I might not understand it, but what I know of you is you are the Messiah and you have the words of eternal life. And so I'm not going anywhere. So we grapple, each and every one of us, we grapple with the call that the Lord has on our lives to abandon everything else for the sake of knowing him. Because where else are you going to go? So how do we handle doubt? Number one, we take it to Christ. Seek the Lord. Seek him in prayer. Number two, search the scriptures. Let's turn back to Matthew 11. You probably kept your finger there, but that's the passage we're studying this morning. And really what we see here is, uh, starting in verse 4, is the way that Jesus responded to John the Baptist's question. And let's begin with what Jesus didn't say in response to John. He didn't say, okay, tell John the Baptist that I am the Messiah. He, and that's kind of what you would expect, right? That's what I expect. As I read this story, I'm like, I'm just expecting Jesus to go, you got to say this with an exclamation point. I am the one. Don't you doubt it. I am he. You, you got it right. You prepared the way for the right person. That's not what Jesus says here. Instead, what does he say? Starting in verse 4, we're in Matthew chapter 11. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news proclaimed to the poor. And then he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John knows the prophecies about the Messiah. He knows very specifically the prophecies in the book of Isaiah, like chapter 35, where it talks about the Messiah is going to restore sight to the blind that the lame are going to walk, the lepers will be healed, and all the rest of the things mentioned there. And it begins to click in his mind. Jesus is the Messiah. He's doing exactly what was prophesied that the Messiah would do. And, and, 
And Jesus, instead of just saying, I'm, I am he, he's pointing John back to the scriptures. He's like, I don't know if you have the Isaiah scroll with you in there, but do you remember chapter 35? And do you remember chapter 61? So for us today, if we're doubting our faith, if we're, if we're wondering, like, why is God operating the way he is? Maybe you look at your circumstances or you look at the world and you're like, why is God not doing something? Or why is God doing that? Search the scriptures. Because when you search the scriptures, you're seeking out the heart of God. Then you begin to more fully understand how God operates. You begin to more fully understand God's amazing active history since before the dawn of time. And it can be, it can be uh, temptation, I think, as we look at this story to go, okay, so why did John the Baptist miss it then? Like if the, the prophecies about the Messiah are so obvious and John knew them, then why did he doubt? Why did he struggle with this? Because God's answers aren't always obvious when you're battling the darkness. That's why. So no, no, we're not going to beat up John and go, duh, he knew this. We're going to say, because he was in the dark. He was literally in the dark in, in a prison cell. Because the promises of God are not always obvious to us when we're in the darkness. We begin to forget them. We begin to focus on the darkness that surrounds us. We're in, the, the, in despair. We're, we're struggling with disappointment. We're wallowing in the gloom. Of things didn't go according to my plan. Things didn't turn out the way I thought they were. And what the scriptures do, they reorient us back to God's will and God's plan. So again, I don't want to downplay this this morning. That life is tough. And that sometimes in those dark moments, we begin to wonder... Where is God in this? Is God powerful? And is God good? And if those things are true, then why am I going through this? Why this crisis? I also want to say, this is me reading the room, by the way. Um, there are a number of us here today that would say, like, well, I'm not in that place of, like, I, I'm not doubting God. In the church in America and in our evangelical world, doubt is most often evident and obvious, not by us saying, I'm doubting right now, but by our actions. And so could I ask you to soften your heart for just a moment and reflect on the sleepless nights where you're anxious and you're worried and you're, you're, you're just going over in your mind the worst case scenarios and what could be. And could I just gently suggest that that's you doubting God? Because you're, you're taking on those issues like what's going to happen here and what that stress and anxiety and unrest does is it betrays a doubt that's within your heart. It's not a, Lord, you've got this, so I trust you and I'm going to rest. It's, I don't know how this is going to work out, and I'm scared. Might I even suggest that the times where we withhold, when we know we should be generous and give, and I'm not just talking about in the black boxes in the back. I'm talking with others, with ministries and people and the needy, and as well as 
finances in the church. When we withhold, when we know we should be generous, does that not reveal that we're doubting that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and is able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine? And so I think that doubt is prevalent in the church. Even if it's not you saying, I'm really in a season right now that I'm doubting God. It's doubt in action, maybe more than being articulated. And I say that not to condemn you, because you've already heard this morning that I don't think doubt is necessarily sinful. That doubt can be a vehicle, a beautiful tension that leads us to greater faith. But let's not pretend that we don't have doubt. I wouldn't suppose to even stand in the pulpit this morning. Thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor of delivering the truth of the gospel. But I wouldn't stand here this morning and say, I don't have doubts. Because there are times where I look at circumstances and I wonder, what's going on here, God? Are you able? And what are you doing? So I'm suggesting this morning that how do we handle those doubts? We take it right to the Lord and we search the scriptures. Be like John. (laughs) Take those questions to Jesus and then listen, be ready for God's response to those questions. John asked the question. He awaited the response from the Lord. Because when you get into the scriptures, my friends, it's going to transform your life. When you get into the word of God, it's not just studying some ancient text. It is like Peter says here, it's it's the words of eternal life. You get into the the Bible and you're going to see promises made by the almighty God 6,000 years ago to Adam and Eve because he gave them a perfect life and they seemingly ruined it. But but the Lord even says then early on in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, like that a descendant of Eve is going to come and crush the head of the serpent, that there's going to be one that he sends as a redeemer and rescuer who's going to live and die in the place of every sinner. So that once again, humanity could have that perfect life that he instituted at the beginning. That God wants each and every person to have. As you search the scriptures, you're going to walk with the Lord through the pages of the Old Testament. And you're going to see him keeping that promise. You're going to see detail after detail about what the promised Messiah is going to be like. And what he's going to do. How he's going to be born, where he's going to come, how he's going to suffer, how he's going to die in the place of sinners. How he's going to ultimately then bring peace between God and all of humanity. And then you can see God's faithfulness as you get into the scriptures. Even faithfulness to a people that turn their back on him time and time and time again like sheep going astray. And you're going to see as you walk through the scriptures the arrival of Jesus. And I certainly hope that in this series, as we talk about John the Baptist, that the focus is not on John the Baptist, (laughs) but that it is indeed on Christ, the Messiah. He came to prepare the way and to point us to Jesus. And you're going to see that Jesus perfectly fulfilled every prophecy, that you cannot mistake him for the one sent by God to redeem us, that he then willingly went to the cross saying, not my will, but yours be done, and taking the punishment that each one of us deserved. And even with his dying breath, 
declares, Satan's been crushed. The price of sin fully paid. The work has now been finished. I mean, this is the Easter season. We, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday here in just a few weeks. And we're going to hear the angels at the tomb who say, He's not here. He's risen, just like he said. So as you search the scriptures, and as you see these great truths from Genesis to Revelation telling one story of God's work in the world, you're going to grow in your understanding of God's master plan of salvation because God is in control and God is the author of all human life. So how does that connect to our doubt? Because when you get into the scriptures and you begin to see this is how God works and this is what God is up to, you begin to see the bigger picture. By God's grace, you begin to understand just because my circumstances didn't align the way I wanted them to, God is still in control. And I trust him. And I'm going to take my doubts to him and I'm going to take my doubts to the scriptures and be faithful. And Jesus is indeed who he claimed he was. So how do we handle doubt? We take it to the Lord. We search the scriptures. And finally, we share it with a friend. <laughs> this can be such a helpful part of our journey, my friends. When you know, I'm not alone. When others are helping you. When others are bearing your burden. When others are interceding on your behalf. Lifting you up in prayer. Standing with you. And maybe you are the friend. Maybe you are the one that God wants to use in the life of someone else. And you need a word of encouragement today. Don't think that you have to launch into some long uh, apologetic diatribe. Convince the person. Here's why you have to believe. You must believe. You shouldn't doubt. Don't shame them for their doubt. Instead, just commit to walking with that person. Just be with them. Help bear the burden. Pray with them. Pray for them. Urge them to take that doubt to Christ. Urge them to search the scriptures just as we've talked about. You don't have to be a licensed counselor. You don't have to be a, a professional pastor or missionary. It's okay if you don't give those immediate Sunday school answers. It is helpful if you love Jesus. All right, so, so when I say a trusted Christian friend, I mean someone who, who genuinely and authentically lives out their faith. Don't, don't take these questions and these struggles to someone who's not a believer. It's helpful if you love Jesus. It's helpful if you have a working knowledge of, of the truth of God's word. <laughs> that you can lovingly offer words of hope and truth and instruction as, as God allows you. So maybe you're the friend. And maybe today you just need to say, okay, God, I'm willing to walk with one who's in that place. I want to point out, before we close this morning, I want to point out here that our Lord Jesus, as he responds to John the Baptist... Okay, so number one, we pointed out he doesn't say, tell him I'm him, tell him I'm the Messiah. Number two, he doesn't say, shame on you. He doesn't attack John. He doesn't belittle John. He doesn't say, and I thought you were great among people. In fact, it's actually right after this that Jesus declares that John is the greatest. Like this same passage is where Jesus says, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. He, he does not condemn John's doubt. At the end of verse 11, by the way, I want us to look here and just see that he does say, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And he's talking about John the Baptist there. 
which can be another confusing verse. But you know what it says? It says God wants to use you. Yes, you. Don't say, there's got to be someone else. Don't say, well, isn't there a John the Baptist of our generation that can do it? Even the least can be greater than John. When availed to God's purposes. So that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's for each and every one of us today. God wants to use you to encourage others. God wants you also to be honest with your own doubts. Because God wants to develop in each and every one of us a greater faith. Listen, God can handle your doubts. You don't have to try to hide them or try to mask them. Listen, you're not hiding them from God anyway. He knows your thoughts. He perceives them from afar. And you're not going to let God down by admitting your doubts. Why? Because you're not the one holding them up in the first place. You're not going to let God down by admitting your doubts. And all of a sudden, we begin to realize John's greatness had nothing to do with John. The greatness of John depended exclusively and entirely because of the greatness of the one he introduced. Wow. Jesus has this teaching in John 16 where he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So yeah, life is tough. Life is hard. It's hard for us. Life is hard on us. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get disheartened. There comes a time in every Christian's life where we question things. We're going to doubt at times. But God is good. And God is in control. Nothing's going to change that. I love this quote from Corey Ten Boom that I want to share with us. She says, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Don't lose heart, my friend. Just be still and trust him, even in the darkness. Take your doubts to Christ. Search the scriptures that you might expand your understanding of who God is and what he does. And if you have a Christian friend who you can bring into your corner, share with them. Our faith is in a perfect God who has perfect plans. And those will be carried out in his perfect timing. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Oh, good and gracious God, we bring to you this morning our own struggles and fears and even doubts. That sometimes we experience brokenness and hurt and sorrow and disappointment and woundedness that, oh God, causes us to wonder, are you indeed good? Are you indeed powerful? And so, Lord, thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that we can seek out you and your heart and your ways and say, why, oh God, am I walking through this? Why, oh God, is this happening? Lord, would you help me? Because sometimes I just feel like running away, just driving a bus to Miami. And so, Lord, would you speak your words of eternal life into the soul of each and every one of us? Where else would we go? So, Lord, we come to you. 
in our feebleness, in our frailty, oftentimes mired by sin and wrongdoing, wrong thinking, bad attitudes, grumbling and complaining. And we say, Lord, your word says that we are not our own, but that we've been bought with a price. And so God, I'm yours. I might be a mess, but I'm your mess, oh God. So Lord, would you help me in my unbelief? And would you guide me in your way everlasting? And would you instill within me a great and tremendous hope for your perfect plan carried out according to your perfect timing? And I choose to trust you. Lord, we commit these prayers to you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.